We're going to continue our Bible study. So we've come to Psalm number 59 now. We've been working our way um, psalm by psalm um, through the psalms, uh, particularly paying attention to um, what we refer to as biblical theology of the psalm, how that that individual psalms are connected to other psalms within uh, the groups that they are in, as well as um, more broadly, as well as connections to um, other uh, scripture and, and what have you. Particularly, we are focusing on uh, the Messianic hope in each of the Psalms as we go through. Um, so obviously, we're not dealing with every little detail uh, that can be found there. But So starting in Psalm 59, our summary for this Psalm, Psalm 59 prays for deliverance from treacherous enemies. Now I'll go over that again. Psalm 59 prays for deliverance from treacherous enemies. A simple outline for this psalm will be in two parts. Verses 1 to 9, God laughs at the enemies. Verses 10 to 17, God rules in Jacob. So I'll go over that again. Verses 1 to 9, God laughs at the enemies. Verses 10 to 17, God rules in Jacob. All right, so we'll go to our observations. Psalm 59 was written by David, and you can see the superscription ascribes it to him, to the chief musician, Altashith, Miktam of David, when Saul sent, and they watched the house to kill him. So it's directed to the chief musician, to the choir master. Um, it is set to the tune of Do Not Destroy Altashith, uh, which we have seen uh, in the previous Psalms, and it's also called a miktam, which is a word that means something like an engraving. Um, obviously, the uh, heading very similar to that in Psalm 58 and Psalm 57 before it. Uh, as far as musical directions, there are two selahs in this Psalm, one at uh, verse 5, one at verse 13. Now, the occasion for this Psalm is mentioned in the heading, um, and it is the account that is given in 1 Samuel chapter 19, uh, think around about verses 9 to 17, where Saul, who we also must remember, is David's father-in-law. Um, he had sent men to David's house to catch him and to kill him. And David's wife, Michal, which was Saul's daughter, had actually helped David to escape. So that was the occasion for this particular psalm. As far as the category of the psalm, Psalm 59 would be an individual lament. Um, and as such, then there's certain conventions of a lament that we'd expect to find, and we do find those in this psalm. So you have direct address, prayer to God for deliverance in verses 1 and 2. You have a crisis complaint and a petition for help in verses 3 to 7. You have an expression of confidence in God in verses 8 to 10. You have a petition for deliverance in verses 11 to 15. And you have a commitment to praise that ends the psalm in verses 16 and 17. So it does 
fulfill the, the standard conventions of a lament psalm. The psalm also has wisdom elements in it, um, actually a number of those. Um, the laying in wait um, to do hurt to someone, uh, mentioned here in verse number three, common um, in the Proverbs. Um, you have no fear of judgment in verse 17, as those that are, are doing uh, hurt to David as his enemies are saying, you know, who, who will hear? In other words, there's none to hear or none to hold them into account. You have God laughing at calamity in verse number eight, um, which is also uh, what Solomon said of God in reference to fools when calamity comes on them in Proverbs chapter one. And you have the evil use of words and a reversal in judgment. And so um, obviously the use of words um, for good or for evil is a very common theme um, throughout wisdom literature, the book of Proverbs especially. Um, and the reversal, the sort of the poetic reversal of judgment being taken um, in your own snare and that sort of thing, um, that's, that's given here in verse number 12. So a number of wisdom elements to the psalm. This psalm also contains some imprecations. Uh, remember that imprecations are prayers for judgment. And these are, these are prayers for condemnation. All right? These are not um, just simply prayers of, you know, will frustrate their plans or maybe, you know, shield us from these enemies or turn them in a certain way. This is a, this is a prayer, a prayer of judgment, prayer to bring them to the grave and to bring them to condemnation. So you have imprecations in verses 11 to 13. So it's not as intense as Psalm 58, which is the one we looked at last week, but it does have some of that element to it as well. Um, psalm 59 obviously connects with the preceding David psalm. So we're in the book two collection of the psalms. We are in a group of David psalms that began in Psalm 51 with his great confession that follows that ace of psalm, and then it comes after the Korahite groups. Um, then we have Psalms 52 to 58 um, that come prior to this, and especially uh, Psalms 57 and 58, as their, as their headings are nearly identical. So being connected to this group of Psalms, all right, we've, we've seen certain themes that are running through this Psalm group, um, one of those being treachery and betrayal. Um, we've seen it in, in several ways in the Psalms, and it continues in this Psalm. We've seen the persecution and a righteous sufferer. We have seen that in these Psalms. Um, being in exile and danger and in danger of death. Um, also the heading, obviously, which particularly in, is nearly identical to 57 and 58. Um, there's also a number of connections in this psalm with psalm number two. Now, um, obviously, any psalm that has wisdom elements is going to have some connections with psalm one and two. Um, but this one is more psalm two in particular because... Um, the rule and the reign of God and judgment of nations and all, all of those are themes that come out in this psalm that are particularly introduced in Psalm number two. All right, so the poetic features of Psalm 59 um, are, there, there are some, there's some use of repetition. That's um, repetition of certain words and such. You have, a, you have a couple of refrains in the psalm, like verse 6 and 14, and then an, another set in uh, verse 9 and verse 17. Um, you have repetition of, of certain terms like um, defense or refuge, 
um, hesed, um, God's covenant, mercy, um, repeated three times in, in the psalm. And you also have a few instances where you have sort of that poetic repetition where it's not the same word that's being repeated, but it's very similar words. And so, like, for instance, um, in verses, uh, let's see, verses uh, 3 and, and 4, you have um, three words. There are three different words, but are all words associated with sin, transgression, sin, and fault. All words that are associated with sin throughout the law and really throughout the Old Testament you so that so you have that sort of poetic repetition. Uh, you do have some imagery, um, primary imagery of the enemies as dogs. They are sort of um, depicted as being like a, a pack of of snarling and starving dogs that are roaming about the city. Um, you have imagery such as God as a refuge or a high tower, a a lofty um, place of defense. All right, so let's go ahead and work through this psalm. It is a little longer um, than the last few that we've looked at with 17 verses, but I'll go ahead and read through this and um, walk through it. Deliver me from mine enemies, O my God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloody men. For lo, they lie in wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves without my fault. Awake to help me, and behold, thou therefore, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to visit all the heathen. Be not merciful to any wicked transgressors, Selah. They return at evening, they make a noise like a dog, and they go round about the city. Behold, they belch out with their mouth, swords are in their lips. For who, say they, doth hear? But thou, O Lord, shalt laugh at them. Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. Because of his strength will I wait upon thee, for God is my defense. The God of my mercy shall prevent me. God shall let me see my desire upon mine enemies." Slay them not, lest my people forget. Scatter them by thy power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride and for cursing and lying which they speak. Consume them in wrath. Consume them that they may not be. And let them know that God ruleth in Jacob unto the ends of the earth. Selah. And at evening let them return. And let them make a noise like a dog and go round about the city. Let them wander up and down for meat and grudge if they be not satisfied. But I will sing of thy power. Yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning. For thou hast been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. Unto thee, O my strength, will I sing. For God is my defense and the God of my mercy. All right, so the psalm opens, verses 1 and 2. You have the direct address prayer to God. Um, you see this use of repetition. Um, he prays deliver, defend, deliver, and save in these first two verses. The source of threat is named immediately there as enemies, and that has been an ongoing source of problem um, throughout the psalms, but particularly in this um, psalm group, um, Psalm 54 and verse 7, 
Psalm 55, verses 3 and 12, and Psalm 56 and verse number 9, prayers about um, the enemy or the enemy being the source of the crisis. Now, the word for defend that is used there, it means to set high. And the it's it, the idea would be like being out of reach. So you're you're plucked up and you're you're set up in a high place where the enemy cannot reach you. And, and so the, so therefore it would be a place of safety. And in verse two, we see more of this repetition. And this re- and this type of repetition goes on throughout the psalm. Um, enemies, workers of iniquity, and bloody men. These all these words that he uses to describe them. Um, showing that he's being opposed by bloodthirsty men. That's what bloody men, murderous men, um, those that, in other words, they're they're bent on and intent on taking David's life. Now, the word for save that he used is a word that means to set free um, or to make safe. Uh, it's a word used in Psalm 22 and, and verse 21. A very messianic psalm. It's used more recently in this um, in this David psalm group, Psalm fifty four, verse one, Psalm fifty five, verse sixteen, Psalm fifty seven, and verse number three. So it is the the uh, prayer uh, of salvation or or being rescued that is being prayed for. Verses three to five then give us the crisis complaint. Um, we see that there are enemies that David says are lying in wait for my soul. And so that is a, obviously that expression. It does, it does give us a little bit of an imagery of some sort of predatory animal, um, uh, setting a trap or some hunters or maybe even, uh, could even be soldiers, um, trying to entrap and set up a snare for the enemy in order to take them. Um, so this lying in wait is, um, mentioned also particularly in Psalm 10 and verse number nine. But again, it is a a wisdom theme. And so we see this repeated throughout the Proverbs uh, in Proverbs chapter one, uh, in Proverbs chapter seven, uh, Proverbs chapter 12, Proverbs chapter 23. So it is, it occurs a number of times there as well. The enemy that he's describing is strong and by that meaning violent, the same word is, is used in this way in Psalm, uh, Psalm 18 and verse 17. And there's a repetition of the words for sin there between verses 3 and 4, transgression, sin, and fault. Um, and this is, uh, is a confession that um, David, in other words, it paints him as the righteous sufferer, that he's not, he's not done any sort of crime, he's not done any sort of wrong to deserve um, the persecution that he's suffering at this time. So the the righteous sufferer has obviously, uh, we've seen that recently in Psalm 57, back in Psalm 55, uh, and we can see it back in some of the earlier Psalms as well. And in verse 4, he's requesting God to awake, to to rise up. And this is a term um, used in, in uh, Psalm 7 and verse 6, Psalm 35 and verse 23, Psalm 44 and verse 23, where this word is used, and it's and it's an implication of judgment. It's it's God rising up to judge, and and by judge we would mean not like um, not like make a decision or render a verdict, but to execute judgment, to execute a punishment um, upon the wicked. So he's requesting God. You notice at the end of verse four, he says to behold or to see. Um, he's he's requesting God to see the evil of his wicked enemies. And this is um, something that was mentioned back in Psalm 53 and verse number two. 
Um, it is, it is thematic in the Psalms that God sees from heaven. Uh, Psalm 10, verse 11 and verse 14 use the same language. Psalm 14 and verse 2 use the same language. Psalm 25 and verse number 19. God seeing from heaven, seeing, um, the actions of men and, um, judging them. Now in verse number five, we have a different word for awake that is used here. They are very similar in meaning. This same word is used in Psalm 44 and verse 23. And we know, we see this address as the Lord God of hosts, which actually in this Psalm, there's, I think there's three different instances of, of the, uh, the name for God, Yahweh, which, uh, you don't see a lot in this particular, um, book of Psalms, but it is, uh, three times in this particular Psalm. Uh, which is usually has a, a covenantal association in the Psalms. But we see this reference to the Lord or Lord God of hosts, Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies, um, typically referring to the hosts of heaven or um, angelic armies that um, he commands. And this Lord of hosts title does appear in a few other instances in the Psalms and is typically associated with Israel's defense and their restoration. So for instance, in Psalm 24 and verse number 10, uh, this Lord of hosts is referred to. And, and Psalm 24, uh, you will remember that, that Psalm ends with the King of glory coming into Jerusalem. In other words, it's a, a, um, victorious parade, as it were, him coming into Jerusalem. But we've also seen Lord of hosts in the Korahite Psalms. So in Psalm 44, uh, or I'm sorry, Psalm 46, verse 7 and 11, and Psalm 48 and verse number 8. He also uses this um, name, God of Israel. And God of Israel is a, a name or title that speaks of his special relationship with Israel as his chosen people and as recipients of his covenant promises. So um, this is echoed from Psalm 22 and and verses 3 and verse 23. And really this has roots all the way back um, to Abraham, Genesis chapter 17 and verse number 7. And then it carries on through the law. It is used in the prophets. It is echoed in the Psalms. Again, it's it's a name of God as the God of Israel, his special relationship as his chosen people. Um, asking for God to visit all of the heathen. The visiting here is a, uh, a mean would mean a visiting in judgment. Um, that's what he's praying for. And the word for heathen is um, the word goyim. Um, it is a, a common word that is used typically to identify nations. Generally speaking, um, it refers to nations with territory and also with government. Um, it is, it's, a, it's actually very interesting the way that this term is used in the Old Testament because most of the time when this word is used, it is referring to nations other than Israel. Um, and that's, you may have heard goy or, or goyim used, and it essentially ref, can, it's, refers to Gentiles and, and not even, not even like Gentile proselytes, but Gentile unbelievers. So those thoroughly other than Israel. But sometimes it is used of Israel as well. But the, but the, but the implication here um, is the God of Israel judging these goyim, judging these nations of the earth. Um, so it, it, 
it shows a broader concern. In other words, as, as we're working through this lament and we've got the occasion um, when, when David, uh, there was a, essentially a trap laid for him um, to take his life and he escaped uh, sort of narrowly out of that trap and that as an occasion. But David's concerns here are seen as actually much broader. Um, when he's, he's, he's calling for God to awaken to judgment and awaken to judgment of the nations. In verses 6 and 7, we get um, a description of the enemy activity. And this is, so this is what um, they are about. They're like uh, a pack of hungry, scavenging dogs, um, which is another term for the enemies of the Messiah in Psalm 22, verses 16 and 20. Um, they're described here as making noise. They're snarling. They're they're barking. They're they're going about the city. It's like they're um, you know looking for looking for something to devour. And in verse seven, we see now a reference to them using words for evil against David. And this is going to be repeated in verse number twelve, a little later on. So this use of words for evil has been uh, thematic in the Psalms, but particularly in this David Psalm group. So in Psalm 52, verses 2 to 5, we see this. In Psalm 56, verses 9 to 11, and in verse 21, obviously it's going to be an implication of treachery and of betrayal. So he ends that he ends that verse, verse 7, of those um, that are acting like dogs saying, who hears? Who is it that hears? In other words, they foolishly think that they will not be held to account. Now, this partially reflects um, Saul, who is king, and he is using his authority, his power as king, and he's using his army, the army of Israel, to hunt David down to kill him. So in other words, it's a, it's a government-sanctioned action. So these men that are that are carrying this out don't believe themselves to be doing wrong, but they believe themselves to be doing right. So they, they're, they're, they're following the orders of the king, despite the fact that they are evil and, and wicked orders um, that are completely unjust, but they're following the orders of the king and, and in a sense think themselves to be just in their action. And so we've, we've seen this referred to early in the Psalms. We've seen it more recently Psalm 53 and verse 1, Psalm 57 and verse 4, and Psalm 58, verses 4 and 5. Verses 8 to 10 then give an expression of confidence in God. So it's uh, in whenever you have a lament psalm, you're always going to see, you're always going to see this shift or this change in mood. There's going to be um, the, the focus of the crisis in the beginning of the psalm. And so it's going to be down, it's going to be um, dark, and then you have uh, a shift as, a, as an expression of confidence and, and light seems to dawn and it's, it's going to go up. And that's what we have here. So verse number eight expresses that the Lord will laugh at them and have them in derision. Now, both of those terms actually occur in Psalm 2 and verse number four. And there it is God's response to the raging of the nations on earth who oppose him. And it says God laughs at them and has them in derision or he, he mocks them. He speaks unintelligibly to them. Solomon also wrote in Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 1 and verse 26 that God laughs at stubborn fools when calamity comes on them. Those who have 
refused and hated instruction of wisdom, those who have, have walked contrary to the way of wisdom, those who have worked mischief and, and what have you, when their calamity calls, God says, I, I'm not going to hear. I'm not going to deliver them. He's, I'm going to laugh and I'm going to mock them in their calamity. So again, that's a part of the, the wisdom element. The word for heathen that is used is the same word as, as uh, back in verse 5. In fact, it's uh, one of those repeated terms, the goyim here. Um, but th- that's also the same term used in Psalm 2 in verse 1 and in verse 8, speaking about the nations of the earth. The word for derision, uh, it means to mock or to stammer unintelligibly, um, which is, um, which is a, a, a motif um, of judgment. When you get into um, some of the the later prophecies and um, the prophecies of judgment, when God talks about speaking to His people in a uh, in a language they don't understand, um, in, in other words, it's it's a pronouncement of judgment. In um, verse nine, He uses this word for defense. God is His defense, and it's a word that's sometimes translated refuge, um, like in chapter nine or Psalm nine and verse nine. It's translated high tower in Psalm 18 in verse number two. Again, it refers to that high defensible place. So it is a safe place. Uh, this is the verse 10 gives us the first use of hesed in this psalm. That's the Hebrew term um, that um, is, is oftentimes associated with God's covenant. And so it refers to his loyalty, to his faithfulness, and the fact that he, sh- he shows mercy inconsistency or inconsistence, consistency, uh, I'm going to have another term there, um, with his covenant promises that he has made. In other words, he's not acting um, contrary. He's not acting arbitrary. He's not acting random. He doesn't just particularly happen to be in a good mood that day. And so he's acting and showing kindness, but rather he's doing so um, consistent with his promises that he has made by which he has bound himself. So God's covenant loyalty or faithfulness, and that term uh, appears three more times in this psalm. And he says that uh, prevent me, that's that's archaic usage of that term, meaning to go before. Um, And then we see in in this verse, in verse 10 at the end, God will let me see my desire upon mine enemies. So this is an expression of vindication. In other words, um, when it's all said and done, David is going to stand and his enemies are going to fall and he's going to see the fall of his enemies. Again, it's, it's a vindication. It's, it's a confirmation that he is um, the righteous sufferer. And it's um, a theme that we've seen from Psalm 52 and verse 6 and Psalm 54 and verse number 7. In other words, those who trust in him, those who take refuge in God, those who are in covenant relationship with God, will see the destruction of God's enemies. Um, Verses 11 to 15 then give this prayer for judgment. This is where we see the imprecations in this psalm. He prays at first for not a slaying of the enemies, but for a scattering of the enemies. In other words, um, Similar to uh, the breaking of the of the teeth or the removing of the fangs of the serpent that we saw in Psalm number fifty eight, rendering them um, incapable of doing harm, incapable of carrying out their plans, 
Um, and this word for scattering is repeated again in verse 15, um, spoken about their wanderings as, again, as, as dogs that can't find any uh, food or can't find any satisfaction. Um, and so this scattering is order that God, is so that God's work may be known. It says that, lest my people forget. In other words, uh, my people here is a reference now to a communal concern. So even as, even as we would call this an individual lament, and it is, there are a few plurals um, here and there. There are a few places that show that, that David's concern is beyond just his, indi- just his individual self and also to the community of the faithful, God's, prom- God's people um, that he has chosen and that he has made promises to. But then he goes on to pray, bring them down. Um, and that is a word um, that is a prayer of judgment. We've seen it in Psalm 55 in verses 15 and 23 in Psalm 56 and verse number seven. Again, these, these imprecations that God brings them down to the grave, essentially in judgment and condemnation. Um, in verse 12, we see a continuation of the slanderous and destructive words that are being used against him. The prayer is to let them be taken in their pride. That's that um, reversal of, of judgment where uh, it, it, they're taken in their sort of in their own devices, um, so to speak. Um, we've seen that prayer in Psalm 9 and verse 15, Psalm 35 and verse 8. Uh, but it, it also occurs in Proverbs, Proverbs um, 6 and verse 2 and Proverbs 11 and verse 6. Then we see this repetition. So there's related to words. There's mouth and words and lips and cursing and lying and and speaking. Um, Verse 13 is a prayer for wrath. um, And it's a wrath that says that they may not be. Now, this is very similar to a number of expressions we have seen. It's not as full as some of those expressions, but 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 it's like a prayer for the end of their existence. In other words, it's a prayer for a removal and a disinheriting of the enemies. In other words, that that means them being removed from the earth, having any part in the earth and in the kingdom to come. So we've seen that in Psalm 37 and verse 29, but more recently in Psalm 52, verse 5, and Psalm 53, verse 5, this prayer for the disinheriting, for them. So we see, um, I think one of the expressions was, root them out of the land of the living. Um, that sort of a prayer. Now, the reference to Jacob here that we see, which isn't extremely common, but it, it does occur in the Psalms, a reference to Jacob, um, God ruling in Jacob, is a reference to the tribes of Israel being united under one rule, God ruling over Jacob. That would be all the tribes. So this this would be um, something that would be uh, complementary to Uh, some of the prophetic visions like Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse 22, where you have the two sticks being joined together so that um, it's a prophecy of of Israel's restoration to where they will be no longer divided, but they will be one kingdom under one king. So this this reference to Jacob also is invoking God's covenant promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And the reference to the earth, which appears here and to the ends of the earth, in other words, it's going to be the rule over Jacob that extends out to the ends of the earth. Um, that's the place of the rule. That's that's where God's rule comes to. Um, obviously, uh, we see the reference to the earth in Psalm 2, verses 8 and 10. Um, we've seen it in Psalm 8, verses 1 and 9. Both of those psalms heavily messianic, uh, heavily having to do 
um, with the coming kingdom of the Messiah. We've seen it more recently in Psalm 57, verses 5 and 11, and Psalm 58 and verse number 11. And verse 14 is a, a repeating of verse 6 primarily. It's, it's a return to the enemies. Verse 15 returns to this scattering in judgment, uh, the pack of dogs and, and not, not finding you know, what they're looking for, not being satisfied. In other words, them being frustrated and denied um, what it is that they're seeking. Verses 16 and 17 that end this psalm gives that vow to praise. Uh, again, common in the laments. Verse 16 commits to praise God in singing. Um, reference to the morning um, gives the idea of a daily renewal of God's praise in singing. Uh, in, in singing. Um, trouble uh, that he refers to, God, in the day of my trouble. Trouble refers to a tight place, a place of no escape. Um, and God obviously delivering from that, uh, being a defense and refuge. Um, verse 17 is a repeating of verse number 9, a refrain um, that ends uh, this particular psalm, echoing the defense or the refuge and the hesed, the covenant mercy that we see in both verses 16 and 17. All right, so let's go on to interpretation. So what does Psalm 59 teach? Well, Psalm 59 does teach the common theology of lament psalms. In other words, as we study these lament psalms, we, we can certainly see uh, a common theology that, that comes out in them. And I don't always draw attention to all of these different aspects, but just, just wanted to run down sort of the common theology of the lament psalms that is, is so pronounced in Psalm 59. So you have a, the righteous sufferer, being persecuted by the wicked who are opposing God. And so it's almost as a, in a sense that the righteous suffer is sort of like collateral damage. Um, so the, the wicked who are opposed to God um, and persecuting those who believe in God. Um, all the ravings and the ragings of the wicked will not prevail over the strength of God. So they don't actually possess the power to carry out their plans any further than what God permits to fulfill his purposes. God is the universal king in heaven over all of his creation. And he sits and laughs at human rebellion as if it could successfully oppose him. And then he sends his judgment to the earth, resulting in the destruction of the wicked and the establishment of, of righteous rule on the earth. So all those who take refuge in him will be delivered from wrath and will see the destruction of the enemies and will rejoice in peace and in praise of God. And again, that is common theology in um, the Lament Psalms. So then, the Messianic hope in Psalm 59 in particular is seen through this Lament theology, particularly in the scale of the concern that is expressed in the psalm and in the standing of David in order to pray such a prayer. So David was God's anointed king, and he was innocent of any wrongdoing or any crime um, that the king of Israel, who was Saul, should use his power against him to kill him. David is being betrayed. He's being rejected by his own people. He... and. Um, his betrayal and his rejection depicts a rebellion against God 
and his anointed king over all the earth. So in other words, David understands um, his place. He understands things that are at stake. So he has references to the broader community and not just himself, to God's judgment of the nations. We saw Psalm 58 as a very powerful prophecy of that coming day of the Lord that's going to bring judgment to all of the earth and to the establishment of his rule upon the earth. So again, David sees um, sees here uh, the, the figure of the Messiah, of, of the anointed one, the anointed son who is to come as he suffers uh, and he is rejected by his own. Judgment will come when God's anointed son king comes to Zion, overthrows his enemies, and establishes his kingdom. Again, this is um, consistent with Psalm number 2. So David sees these greater concerns as he talks about the nations, and he talks about the ends of the earth, and he talks about the rule of of God um, coming to the earth. He speaks to all of these greater concerns that will um, ultimately be resolved in the return of the Messiah to the earth to establish his kingdom. All right, applications. I have two of these. How does Psalm 59 speak to us today as modern readers? Number one, understanding Psalm 59 helps us understand that the life of faith does not mean a smooth prosperity on the earth. So believing in God makes us targets of opposition to God. David was where he was because God had chosen him out of the sheepfold, had anointed him to be king, had given him a place. And his faithfulness to the covenant that God made with him, all the promises that had gone before, put him in a place where he is the target of opposition to God. So we have to understand that Trusting in God does ultimately mean seeing our enemies defeated and will will see us rejoicing with the community of the redeemed. But at the same time, it also puts us in the line of fire for opposition against God. So when we believe in him, we're seeking to walk in his way. We're seeking to follow his truth. We're seeking to speak his word. That puts us um, as targets for opposition to God. Number two, understanding Psalm 59 helps us understand why we must have patience. We we strive for what is right in this life. We we do. Um, Whether whether that be um, righteousness, whether that be truth, whether that um, be goodness, whether that be mercy, we're striving for what is right on this earth um, toward um, not not just our brothers and sisters in Christ, but but even toward all people of the earth. And we are striving for what is right, but we have to have patience. We have to we have to have patience and recognize that what is right is ultimately going to come. It is going to come in the future with the, re- the return of Jesus Christ and. We don't know how much um, right that we may see or may accomplish in this life. We have to have patience. And, so, and that's what you see in the laments. And that's why you have that turn. So 
in a lament, um, there's a, a prayer about an ongoing crisis. And the crisis isn't over yet, but by the end of the lament, you've got this turn. You've got the, all this expression of confidence. You've got all these, all these um, vows of praising God for this deliverance that's going to come. So there's a future orientation, and that is an orientation that we have to have that's a patience that we have to have to understand um, you know, we're, we're not ultimately going to set the world to right. Jesus Christ is. And we do have to serve him faithfully, trust in him, and we do have to wait for him. All right, any questions about Psalm 59? Well, um, because he speaks about the ends of the earth and he echoes um, the use of goyim from Psalm number two, I do think that his concern is broader than just Israel. Um, Israel in, in the Old Testament, essentially they are a goyim that is made um, an am or a ami, uh, my people. So the word goyim is used of, can be used of any or all nations, including Israel. Um, it's not typically used for them. They're usually referred to as Ami or, or my, my people. And, and Israel is only ever referred to that way. But you do have Israel being referred to as goyim in several pronouncements of judgment. So it's, it's in other words, judgment against Israel because they have become like the nations. They've become like Goyim. So, so they are, in, what I would say then is that they are included. So this would, this would include um, the, the wicked of Israel that judgment is going to come on as well as the nations of the earth. And that's, that's what we see in the day of the Lord um, as it's, a, as it's, it's a, um, a time of judgment that comes on Israel and on the other nations of the, the world to root out or to, to rid the earth of wickedness. So I do think they are included, but I don't, I don't think it's just Israel in this concern, if that makes sense. Is that, did that make sense? Okay. <laughs> A short answer to my not-so-short answer. Okay, any other questions to uh, Psalm 59?